Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here. And folks, you know I love to do my due diligence. You know I love to put my feet on the ground. However, there is one company that I have yet to get to. That's right. We're talking fast, casual Chicago street food company, Portillo's. They've been around since 1963, but my path has yet to cross with this company. So I'm rather excited today. Uh, to talk with CEO and President Michael Osanlu. And word is, word is, folks, his favorite menu item at Portillo's is the Italian beef dipped with hot peppers. You know this is going to be a spicy conversation. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Chris. But I have to be honest, I didn't, I didn't, my heart is bleeding for you right now that you've never tried our food. This is a tragedy. I, it is. It is. And, you know, I understand that you guys have a have a wonderful presence in Disney now, but yeah. you guys have yet to make it to the great state of Virginia. So I, I'm going to have to figure something out. Yeah, well, we'll figure out a way to get you to uh, our uh, our restaurant in Orlando. We have a couple there now, but um, I think this is this will be, unfortunately, a purely intellectual exercise for you. <laughs> That's fine. We're talking That's about fine. something. Look. Look, yeah. my, my, my mouth might be watering by the time we're done, but uh, we will get through it, trust me. So, Great. you know, Portillo's around since 1963, like I said, just, just to kind of set the framework, uh, back in 2019, you guys did just about $480 million in revenue. Uh, last year, 2022, $587 million, very impressive growth. Um, Wall Street, and we'll just leave it at that. They're looking for double-digit revenue growth this year. Folks can go look up those earnings expectations, revenue expectations. But let's let's talk about the who, what, where that Portillo's is, right? I, I referenced fast casual, excuse me, fast casual Chicago street food. But what what is it that separates what you guys do and how you do it from the other fast food, quick service restaurant companies that are out there? Um. It's a great question, and I'm going to give you probably a remarkably boring answer. I think if you're in the restaurant business, everything starts with, is your food craveable, right? Do people like want to hop into their cars, go out, and get your food? And and I will tell and I think there's some wonderful restaurant companies that I admire the heck out of that have craveable food. But, you know, I'm, uh, I would put our food up against anybody's. Our Italian beef sandwich is unbelievable. It's thinly sliced beef. It's simmering in a vat of gravy that's homemade. It's it's slathered on fresh, toasty French bread. And so every mouthful is this unbelievable combination of flavors and deliciousness. Our French fries, Chris, are crinkle cut, cooked in, it, we're old school. It's cooked in beef tallow, so which is large. So animal fat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's flavor right there. And by the way, as the world evolves, we find out that it's probably better for you than you know a lot of the Frankenstein oils that you can kind of cook in. <laughs> so our food is craveable. It's delicious, delicious food. It's served in a warm, inviting environment. Like, you know, we, we, we're not, it's not when you come to a Portillo's, it's not some soulless antiseptic box that but for the name on the door could be anybody. It's got a unique character. There's a lot of stuff going on. You will see families, mom and dad sitting down with their kids and enjoying a, a delicious meal that's served hot, fresh and fast. And then the icing on our cake is that um, we have a very sharp value proposition. We take that very seriously. So the average guest at Portillo spends about $10 per person which in this day and age is That's heroic. That's yeah, especially, especially given the quality and the quantity of what we do. 
So we have not, over the last few years, engaged in any kind of shrinkflation. We're not cutting quality. We're actually expanding quality. And uh, and we, we think that we can run a great business by serving craveable food in a beautiful environment at a sharp price point. And, and you know, I would say our numbers prove it. Now, just to set the stage for folks, um, you mentioned the Italian beef, you mentioned the French fries. What, what are some of the other big sellers on the uh, on the menu? Well, we you know, the other I would be loath to not mention our Chicago style hot dog. Right. So, so a Chicago style hot dog is a unique concoction because it's got a 100 percent all natural beef uh, dog. Uh, but then we've got relish, mustard, onions, tomatoes, uh, celery salt. And we have sport peppers on it and a big wedge of pickle. Now it sounds complicated, but I've got, you know, I've got like a culinarian on my team. This guy's brilliant. He's a second level Psalm. He's worked at Michelin star restaurants and he will swear that our Chicago style hot dog is the finest food served in America because it's got, well, and it's because it's got interesting mix of textures and flavors and spicy and sweet and salty. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's the uh, number two seller on our menu. My mouth is watering already and we, we've only just begun. So good job. Good job. Yes. So so um, one of the things that I always marvel at with restaurant companies is, well, there, there are a couple of things and I, I'm we're, we're going to cover a lot of ground. You know, typically, Restaurant companies are a geographic uh, expansion. There's also menu menu uh, key. Uh, you know, like Chipotle's done a very good job of using limited time items, and we, we we could talk about that later. But the other thing that always fascinates me with companies in, in general is when they talk about wow, a really good product mix. And, yeah. and what I want to understand is, you know, yes, you guys have, you know, you got fries. You mentioned that. We know you got drinks. You got shakes. You've got more. Uh, craveable, soulful food, let's just say. What What is a good mix for the company? Well, um, it's an interesting question. And here's what I tell you. I think our product mix is both uh, a, a big benefit to what we do, but also a little bit of a con, to be honest with you. So, you know, we, we have a, a relatively diverse, robust menu. So there's, there's nothing, nothing that really represents it, it's not like I can say, here are the three items that represent the bulk of our sales. That's just not true for us. We have a lot of things, right? We have Italian sausages, Maxwell Street Polishes. We sell pasta in our restaurants. And so uh, we have a, an amazing uh, uh, vegan hot dog. We have unbelievable salads. The average Portillo sells over $800,000 of salad. Just, just think about that for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I only sold salads, we're a reasonably good salad concept. Right. But you add another, you know, seven plus million dollars of sales. Our mix is an interesting dynamic because I think it makes us a little bit more veto proof than a lot of other restaurant concepts. So if you're going out with uh, a family and you have somebody on, on in your household that says, look, I'm a vegan. I just want to eat. That. OK, we've got that at Portillo's. Right. If you said somebody is pescatarian, I've got that at Portillo's. I don't like to eat fried food. No problem. I've got that at Portillo's. So in some ways, it's a huge advantage because it makes us very, very friendly to group settings. It is a it is a cause of complexity, to be truthful, because it is a hard menu to execute. And so, you know, some of the things that we do is in order to manage that is I be, I call this a Darwinian exercise on the menu. 
And we're constantly looking for things that aren't performing well in the menu. So things that are either low sales and low guest satisfaction. And we try to say, is this, is this something that we can fix? Or is this something that we're going to kill and replace? And you know, a perfect example of that was we had a, a, a broiled chicken sandwich. So it's, it's a broiled chicken sandwich on a mini croissant. And, you know, lo and behold, we discover that first it's not selling a lot. The, uh, it's hard to find mini croissants, believe it or not. And the one, and the one vendor that we had had replaced the butter with margarine, which is sort of, yeah, exactly. I wish people could see the face you just made, but it's a horrific, <laughs> it's like a horrific reaction, right? Yeah. A croissant yeah, yeah, yeah. has butter. That's, it's gotta be butter because right, you want right. light and flaky. So you had this gummy doughy bread and it was gross. So. We killed it. We could not figure out a way of improving it. We replaced it with a chicken, a spicy chicken sandwich, still in the chicken family, that is totally on point for us. We use a jardinier relish on it. Jardinier is a, you know, it's an Italian, it's a pickle relish, but spicy. We blend it up with a little bit of sour cream, use that as our dressing. So it's an ownable, unique item. And my guests love it immediately took off on sales, increased the chicken category. My investors love it because it's a better penny profit and better yeah, ring yeah. for my investors. And my operators, believe it or not, loved it because it was a lot easier to make than the broiled chicken sandwich, which was a nightmare. Oh, interesting, interesting. So, so, how, so, how, yeah. so how often, you know, if you've got this diverse menu, is there kind of a rule of thumb that, you know, you guys target, I don't know, maybe, revamping or you know keeping it fresh 10% a year 15% a year to keep to keep the draws coming and just stimulate yeah. new customers or repeat customers I don't um I don't really have a set target it's more of if I we, we are constantly evaluating my culinary team is looking at this on a weekly basis and we're evaluating the performance of everything on our menu is it as good as we want it to be? Are there ways of improving it? If we see that that quality is slipping from a supplier, we deal with that immediately. But I don't, I we do not feel like we need constant, you know, we know constant uh, limited time offers, innovation to draw guests. Candidly, I'm not sure that that works because in most instances, by the time you roll out something and then you take it out, you kind of annoy your operators because they've got to learn how to make this new thing. Mm -hmm. Guests might try it once and then not get a chance to repeat. So our belief system is if it's good enough to put on your menu, it's good enough to stay on your menu. Got it. And okay. if it's going on your menu, something else needs to come off. Okay. Survive Darwinian. I get it. Survival yeah. of the fittest. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned suppliers a second ago, and I, I just have to ask, um, you know, this year, 2023 compared to 2022, supply chain issues lingering, much better. A anything you can say about that? Certainly better. Uh, certainly better. And, you know, we we pride ourselves on working with some wonderful uh, suppliers. But, you know, that said that it's still more volatile than I think anybody would care for it to be. I'm not seeing, you know, last year we experienced over 15% commodity inflation. Um, this year, we, you know, we're expecting to get to uh, uh, mid-single digits, but that's anybody's guess, right? You know, at this point last year, if you said, what do you think commodities are going to be? Yeah. I would have guessed significantly lower than how they ended the year. And so it's always, th this is an area that is now fraught with way more risk than it ever had been historically.
I agree. I mean, I, I look at the data constantly and, you know, the most recent data, the, the core piece, the, sorry, the core CPI, who was trapped between 5.5, 5.7%, you know, January, February, March, April, you know, we'll, we'll see what more data has, but I'm also right. reading that it seems more on the services side of the economy than the manufacturing side, you know, al almost as if, you know, demand is so strong on the services side that some of the supply chain issues we saw in manufacturing are creeping into the services side. And there might be another layer of price increases that some companies have to deal with. And I, I know you guys just announced, I think it was a 3% price increase, correct? Right. That's correct. And, you know, we were lapping over, uh, we, had, we had taken a 3.5% this time last year. So we're seeing some mitigation of inflation and that reflects it. The other thing, and I was, uh, we were pretty clear about this is, because I get asked all the time, what do you see? What do you think about price increases going forward? Right. And, you know, I don't mean to be glib, but if you can tell me what commodities are going to be like going forward, I'll tell you what price increases are going to be. <laughs> uh, I think we need to be nimble and agile and just make sure that we're protecting the business. Um, you know, I, I, this may be impolitic to say, but we're not going to gouge our consumers. We're not trying to margin up uh, with with what's going on. But we also have a responsibility to protect our margins. And so right. it's a balancing act. 100%. It is a, that, that is a tough tightrope to walk, in my opinion. Um, but two things. You mentioned earlier that the average ticket, I think, per person is around $10. It sounds like you guys are fighting like hell to stay there. Is that, is that fair? Totally. I think that's a differentiator for successful uh, restaurant companies, that you still offer a great value proposition. I also think that whether or not we are in a recession, we tip into recession, the consumer's mindset is very fragile. And I think when it, with a fragile consumer, uh, screaming great value and quality is a winning formula. And so that's where we want to be. Yeah, I think, you know, not not to talk about what Walmart said last week, but they pretty much said just that, that, you know, people are trading down, they're being more choosy. Uh, yeah. and, it's, and it sounds like, and again, I haven't sampled it yet, but it sounds like you guys are right in the sweet spot for that. Um, I'd like to think so. I think that's, I, I really do think that objective facts would say we are, and I, but I, you know, we, I'm a uh, uh, closet perfectionist, constantly neurotically worrying about performance and success. So I'd like to think so, but we will be agile and make sure that our price points really do create value for consumers. Well, we won't go into all the due diligence you did in choosing the ice cream behind the milkshakes. We don't need to talk about that. I'm sure that was a I'm sure that was quite the journey balancing flavor and fat content and all that stuff. But but the labor with, of love. <laughs> exactly. But um sticking with pricing, um just for a second, you know, we Price uh, inflation pricing has improved some. I understand the the outlook. You know, we'll see what happens. But we are seeing other companies um, start to realize the benefits of that pricing from last year, i.e., in the form of some margin improvement. Are you guys seeing that? We have committed to you know our margins last year uh, took a bit of a dip, and this is you know no secret, uh, and it was a very purposeful decision because it, with everything going on. We did not want to uh, pass along all of the increases in our costs to our consumers. We actually wanted to protect the consumer value proposition, and we were very uh, transparent about that with our investors. Some people supported it, other people questioned us. I think we will see some just natural margin improvement this year. We have, and, and a lot of it is we have um, some productivity improvements in place. Um, 
we have the carryover effect of our pricing will help with a little bit of our margins. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like, I, I believe it's appropriate to get some margin improvement, but you know, I want to be careful about that. I want to improve margins, but I don't, I don't want to hurt our value proposition. So as you said earlier, right, it's a tightrope. We've got to be really thoughtful. You know, I, I, I tell, uh, I tell everyone on our team that we always have to think about three key constituents, right? We have to take great care of our frontline team members. Our frontline team members, if we're doing everything right for them, we'll take great care of our guests. And our guests, if we do a great job by them, we'll take great care of our investors. And so it's always a balancing act. And when you when you tip too far for one group, you're actually going to hurt your business and that virtuous cycle I just described in the medium and long term. And so, you know, last year we invested a lot in our team members and in our guests. And this year, I think we need to be a little bit more balanced and invest a little bit more in our uh, investors. Okay. Okay. And um, one, you know, some of the areas that you know I've seen continued um, pressure in terms of inflation, not so much on the food front, but more on the labor front. You know, and yeah. from what we what we hear, the labor market is tight. Um, I assume you guys are seeing that as well. Totally. And now I'll I'll give you sort of uh, my perspective on this, like. I like to think of uh, us behaving like enlightened capitalists. And so, and here's what I mean by that. Labor isn't labor. And I don't even like to think about it as a cost because if you go to a Portillo's or if a person goes to Portillo's, their experience is defined by my frontline team members. The person mm -hmm. who takes their order, you know, did they say, hey, by the way, if you've never tried our chocolate cake, it's made in-house fresh every day and it's unbelievable. And they smile when they're taking your order. And the person who made your food did it perfectly. The person at Expedite who's, who calls out your food with a fun, quirky rhyme. When you go to sit down, is the table clean? Did somebody come by and say, hey, how was everything? Did you enjoy yourself? Right. Did they smile at you? So that's not labor, right? Those are my frontline brand ambassadors. And if you're doing a really good job of taking care of them, and they will do a great job by your guests. And so we have made a very conscious decision to invest in our frontline team members. You know, we pay above average, and I'm totally okay with that. I think sometimes people forget that minimum wage is not the mandatory wage you're supposed to pay, right? Correct. That's, Correct. Not, that's, that's somebody mandating what the absolute minimum is. Right. So right. we routinely pay above minimum wage. We promote above minimum wage. We have a wonderful benefits package for our hourly team members. And we have unbelievable training and development, right? You can, within six years, you can start at Portillo's as an average team member, become a general manager of a restaurant, making well above six figures and have a wonderful life. And so I'm incredibly proud of what we do for them. And so, yeah, we invest in them. And wage inflation is high, but I think that done the right way by investing in, in happy team, team members who love working in that environment and are great with our guests, it's like, it's like an investment in your business that returns and returns and returns. So as, as you guys expand your footprint, I think you opened three locations in the most recent quarter, and you've, you're yeah. obviously going to continue to do more. Will you tap some of these people and bring them yeah. to the new locations? It's, so that's a great question. Here's, here's I, I think that the key to success for somebody like us is actually having deeply experienced management that's going to these new locations. So 
you know, for the class of 22, we opened seven new restaurants. For the class of 23, we've committed to opening nine new restaurants. What I love, Chris, is that we are opening all of those restaurants, the seven that open, the nine that are opening. We've identified an experienced Portillo's general manager, somebody who's been with us for at least a year. All of those restaurants also have an experienced Portillo's assistant general manager. And then about 70% of the management team are experienced team members. Those are the people who define what the culture is going to be like and how it is and what the right attitude is and the behaviors. And then we can train, you know, you can you can hire great people. Like when we hire, I'm not looking for somebody like who's, gosh, we've been, I've been working in fast food for eight years. No, we hire based on our values, which is family, greatness, energy, fun. Are you a person who wants to treat each other like family? You want to treat the guests like family? Do you aspire to greatness or are you fine with just good enough? You know, do you act with energy? Do you have fun? That's what we hire because we can. I can train you to make a perfect hot dog. I can't train you to be a really great person and like other yeah. people. Attitude. Yeah, one hundred percent. So the, uh, the, uh, there's one company out uh, near me. They're private. A company called Wegmans. They're a great family grocery oh, yeah. business. And Doing well. And when they first moved down to the Northern Virginia area. I was amazed because I, I was chatting with some of the people there and they're like, yeah, we're from upstate New York. And I'm like, what are you doing here? They're like, yeah. everybody in this store right now is from other locations and yeah. they put them up and they would start, you know, slowly hiring and just work people in. And then, you know, yeah. the experienced team would either go back home or they would go to another location that was opening. And I, I was, and it made all the difference because when, yeah. when you go into a Wegmans, it's not, you know, no disrespect to Kroger or Harris Teeter or Ralph's or any of these guys. There's something different in there. And I, I that yeah. really resonates, I, I think, with what you're saying. Yeah, that I mean, I think I'm a uh, I'm a culture evangelist. I think culture trumps everything else over time. Right. Doesn't matter what what you do for a living. The culture of your organization is what defines long-term success. And so I 100% agree with you. I admire the heck out of Wegmans. I used to uh, deal with them in another life, but they're a wonderful company. They're exactly what you described. So, so okay. So seven locations open in 2022, nine targeted for this year. That brings you to how many by the end of the year? Um, that, will get, that will get us up to uh, 85. You so know, we're, so, so compared to... Just to set the stage here, not not yeah. saying you're alike, but just relative to others, to McDonald's, to Starbucks, to you know these others, Chick Fil A, yeah. even there's a long yeah. way to go. Long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Look, and that's what's so exciting for a guy in my seat. That's what's so exciting about this role, right? I feel like I am so blessed and privileged that I get to run what will ultimately be a mega cap restaurant company. And I'm at the early stage of it growing to its maturity. That's what's so much fun and exciting about Portillo's, right? The question investors have always said is, hey, your food, obviously it works in Chicago, right? Your $8.4 million AUVs are jaw dropping. Your restaurant level margins are ridiculous. But will your food translate? And so, you know, I've been very braggy about the performance of our uh, newest opening in Texas. Right. We opened in uh, outside of DFW in a little town called The Colony, right next to Frisco and Plano. It's killing it. It's not it's right now. It's one of the top three restaurants in our system. And somebody said, well, why do you think your food is working there? I said, because 
Italian beef sandwich is beef and bread. Check <laughs> that works in Dallas, right? It's right. no big secret. Right. And it's right, delicious right, right. food at a great price point. So, so what's exciting about our concept is, um, is it's this it's this little logical quandary, which is the the detractors will say, hey, you're you know these are this is weird food, Italian beef and cake shakes and hot dogs with all that stuff on it. How do you know that that will translate across the country? And I'm you know I can be glib and I say, okay, so that's your doubt, right? You you doubt that my food can translate, okay? Because you think that we're so unique and iconic. The logical corollary to that is if I can show you that the food does translate, you must think we should have the fattest multiple in the restaurant industry because we're so <laughs> unique and iconic. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, so, sh I'm, I'm, I'm sure they, they that kind of catches them off guard. Yeah, and so, and that's, you know, and, I, and I'm, of course, I'm willing to bet my career that our food is gonna translate, and that's why I'm here. Right. Because I right. do think it's gonna be a national concept of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of restaurants. So, so. So how do you choose locations? And, you know, I, I was kind of going to joke like, hey, you know, I see where you are, Arizona, going to yeah. Texas, Chicago, no Virginia. And, yeah. and, and, and Virginia, the only reason I, I say that is Virginia's got some wonderful demographics. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not plugging the state, don't, don't misunderstand. Yeah. But, you know, we look at where corporate headquarters are coming to the state. We take a look at where Apple put its first retail store, Northern Virginia. Um, so, so just conceptually, yeah. what is it you look for? You know, is it is it you know what type of demographics are you looking for as as you plot where to go yeah. next? So let me let me caveat this first by saying I firmly believe that we are a nationwide concept that will be in every reasonable MSA eventually. But so for now, I am uh, I am inherently a lazy human being, so I just want to I want to I want to do the easy stuff first. So what's easy is to grow in markets where there is latent population growth, right? And latent demand for our business. So the three fastest growing states in America by population growth are Florida, Texas, and Arizona. And so those are the three fastest growing states. There is something to the fact that a lot of Northerners, as you get sick and tired of Northern winters, that's where you go. You go to Florida, mm -hmm. Arizona, Texas. So I'm following my Chicago expats to where they're going. Okay. I also, we also have this sneaky little uh, food shipping business. So we will ship Italian beef, hot dogs, cakes to people's homes. It's a, and it's a, it's a nice little business. But what I love about it is it's a, it provides an incredible data for us. So I can tell you that the number one place we ship our business is Dallas, Texas, which tells me again, it's growing, there's latent demand, there's a bunch of Chicagoans down there, we ship food down there. Why would I not go to Dallas? Yeah, yeah, right? exactly, exactly. And so so right now, um, we call it our Sunbelt strategy, which is we're going across Florida, Texas, Arizona. Um, this is a business that requires regional scale to really take off. You know, as we saw our Arizona market go from two to four to seven restaurants, margins start to really get robust. And so we go to MSAs where we think that there is scale for us. So I think we're gonna end up with 18 to 20 restaurants in Dallas. It's no secret, I've announced that um, we'll go to Houston um, in, in 24. I think there's 18 to 20 Portillo's in Houston. We're going across central and northern Florida right now. 
And so it's go where the growth is, go where there's latent demand, go where there is um, you know, some sort of economic incentive, but also go where you think that there's scale and a potential for scale. So, And then I'm a, I'm a data quant at heart, Chris. So we use a lot of data and analytic tools. Um, we use services like eSight and Forum Analytics that will say, you know, they, they do these uh, very, very fancy, well thought out multi, multivariate regression models that identify places for us to be. I marry that with deeply experienced real estate people who then come up with, hey, here are the 15 great sites we should be looking at, Michael, in Dallas or Houston. And then I, I personally, we're still at a stage where, you know, I'm not building restaurants 5,000 to 5,500. We're building right now 77 through 85. So I will personally visit every site, kick the tires on it, drive around, look at what competitors are doing. Uh, and so it's a it's a pretty fulsome process. So the, the one question that kind of jumps out as we talk about this is because you have such, you know, um, particular products, you have to do you do you have to cultivate the supply chain as you move to new states or is or is it readily available? The only tricky part of our supply chain is that we produce all of our Italian beef and peppers at our own commissaries. And if you said, well, how do you feel about that? Well, that's, I think that's really proprietary. I don't want, I don't, I'm not sure I want somebody else trying to cook our beef. Like our beef is slow roasted with a unique blend of spices. We collect all of the pan drippings to make our gravy. That's a big deal. So beef, gravy, peppers, we produce in-house. So I need to distribute that, but we, right. You know, there's wonderful supply chain partners that can do that. We have some great people who make bread for us, our hot dogs. Our bread maker is national, they're everywhere. They can supply us. Our hot dog guys are fantastic. Um, they can supply us. The only thing that's a little tricky is uh, is our, our beef. And we have two facilities in um, in Chicagoland that produce all of our beef. And we have a ton of capacity. You know, I could, those, we have a ton of capacity, our facilities. We can produce beef for the next 200 restaurants, no problem. Yeah, this sounds a lot like, and I don't mean this as a to size you up against them, but this sounds eerily familiar to a company called uh, Habit Burger to me. Mm. And Habit Burger was, I mean, er everything that you're talking about was wonderful. And it was a company that got, uh, it was a, we owned it in one of the, uh, the portfolios that I had and it got picked yeah. up by uh, a larger entity um you know yeah or whatever but it sounds like you guys have a long road to go um does the economic environment kind of make you a little antsy sometimes this this prospect of a potential recession that you know the it seems as if that you know if this was eight or nine months ago people would have saying we'll be in this recession by now where we are today yeah. it hasn't happened the the economy seems to be holding up better than expected if, so if it's not the recession or a recession, um, what what what's the one thing that really keeps you on guard? Or, or as Andy Grove would say, you know, only the paranoid survive. What is it yeah. that makes you paranoid? Boy, I'm an inherently paranoid person, so that's a tough question. <laughs> um, look, this has been the most um, anticipated recession ever, right? We've been expecting a recession for gosh, five, six years. Everyone's been saying next year, next year, next mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, and, I, and I, now I think every 
person a lot smarter than me will say that there should be a short, shallow recession coming up back half of this year and, and we'll come out of it. So maybe that happens. I, I would feel I would feel much more concerned if I needed if we needed to rely on capital markets for our growth. Because, you know, interest rates are getting a little high. Mm-hmm. It's on, you know, good news for us is we generate a ton of cash flow. Our, our, our restaurants, they open generating positive cash flow. We can fund all of our growth internally. So I don't need to go pay, you know, ridiculous interest rates to uh, a questionable banking environment, right? Now. I don't need to worry about banks to fund our growth. That would give me a nightmare if we had to do that. So that's like, that's one big thing. We have been, we are, our business is inherently positioned to do well in a recession. During 08 and 09, we comped positive during that recession. And so we are, I think, an interesting recession play because we get a lot of trade down from casual dining. So instead of going to your favorite casual diner, you still want to feel like a rock star parent, take your kids out to dinner. You can come to a great Portillo's, sit in a beautiful environment. You watch your kids smiling, they're enjoying their food and you're paying, you know, uh, significantly less for four people for dinner. So those are the things that I feel good about. I, I've always, the things that always frustrate me is when we get in our own way, you know, execution, performance, operations. Those are the things that I am ever vigilant about and neurotic about, right? I, I, I tell my team constantly that when things are going well at Portillo's is when I get the most nervous. Because that, <laughs> right, cause, right. Because you know what it's like, right? Complacency is right around the corner. Yeah, uh, it's, yes, yes. And so yeah. I'm exceptionally good at manufacturing crises. Okay. All right. But that, that keeps the team on, you know, kind of on their toes. Yeah. There's an appropriate level of stress that is necessary to perform. Too much is bad. Not enough is complacent. Just remember that when it's only when coal is placed under stress, does it become a diamond? There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Well, Michael, you've been so generous with your time today. Um, You know, before we get out of here, is there anything about Portillo's that we didn't talk about that perhaps we should? No, I think you asked all the right questions. I mean, um, you let me brag about how delicious our food is, which is, to me, the heart and soul of what we do. We serve unbelievably delicious food in a great environment at a really sharp price point. And so, and I think that's a winning formula for any restaurant company. Well, it sounds to me like I'm going to have to go to that online shipping business and check it out. That's what it sounds like. There you go. So, so Michael, um, Again, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to having you back on in the future as you continue to expand the empire. And hopefully I can, uh, I will have sampled the product, a lot of the product by then, because it sounds uh, sounds wonderful. Um, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for your time.